Good morning, Journey Church. How are you feeling today? Hey, so excited to be with you today. Um, we are in second week of our stages series. Uh, this week we're actually going to be talking about students. If you don't know who I am, I'm the student pastor here, Tony Mess. Um, I'm excited just to be able to talk about students. Now, before I go any further, a lot of you are like, well, this is, is this the youth day? That's not what I want to. I don't want to just make this all about students. I want you to be able to take our thoughts and our points today and be able, wherever you are in life, to be able to take those and apply them to your own life. And so maybe you don't have teenagers in your life. Maybe you don't have a middle schooler or a high schooler. Maybe you don't lead them. Maybe you're not a teacher at school. Maybe you don't work with them. And so when you hear this, your first thought is, oh, this is not going to be for me. But this is not Tony's opinions. This is the gospel. And the gospel is for us. And so hopefully you'll walk away today with something um, in your life. You'll be able to take it back to relationships um, in your home, in your workplace. And so um, now before I go any further, uh, I just want to kind of let you know about me a little bit. I've been in youth ministry or been around teenagers since I was 12 years old and I just never left. So at about 18, you're supposed to graduate out of that. And I just became a leader and now I'm 35 and I'm the weird old guy and they still let me be around. So that's okay. I'm okay with that. And so, um, so I've actually been in full-time student ministry for 11 years. And so, um, I'm just excited again, just to be able to share a few things with you. Now, the thing about being in charge is there's pros and cons to that. I don't know if you know that the, one of the pros is that, uh, you tend to get a lot of pats on the back. You tend to get the emails and the text messages and, and I, I'm honored that anybody would even say that I have anything to do with helping change the life of a teenager or another person. So I'm grateful for God's grace in my life. Uh, the con is if things don't go well, you get fired. So, uh, so that's also the con of that. But what I do want to let you know is that, um, what I do on Wednesday night, it, it, it pales in comparison to what this group of people right here do. These are our leaders and this is some of them. Um, this is not all of them that are in that picture. We were actually doing a, uh, this is the, the end of a night, uh, we called house party and there were like 133 students in here that night, 34 new students and 12 of them came to know Jesus. And so, that's incredible in itself, right? Yeah, you put your hands together. That's great. You celebrate Jesus and salvation through him. But these people right here, they walk away from their families and their children every single week and on Wednesday nights. Some of them are group leaders. A lot of them are. And so they'll have events throughout the week and they'll hang out with their students and they'll text them and they'll call them. And they leave their families behind for just a few hours, for a few short minutes to use their gifts that God placed inside of them to serve the students of our community and Journey Church. And so I am honored that God would even allow me to do ministry with these people. And if you're in this place and you go, hey, I, I'm not serving anywhere. Come hang out with us on uh, during student night on Wednesdays. We are crazy because you tend to attract who you are. And I'm a little bit crazy. Um, so we need people who love students and are willing to be here and serve with them. And so I'm just, again, excited just to talk to you a little bit about what God is doing in this next generation. And as parents, uh, what we can do, maybe some things that we can do better. And I'm a parent. I have a seven-year-old, I have a one-and-a-half-year-old, and I have another one on the way. And so I know that it can be difficult, but I've also dealt with teens for a very long time. So let's do this. Let's pray, and then we'll jump into the message. God, I'm just grateful, again, for the opportunity today to um, to declare your word. This is not my words. It is your gospel that changes lives. It is your son, Jesus, that came here and died on a cross for our sins. 
And he is the only way to have eternity in heaven. It's through a relationship with him. And God, I pray today the thoughts and the scripture that go forth will not return void. We know the gospel says that. And we pray today that lives will be changed, whoever's in the room and whoever may be watching online. In your name we pray, everyone said, Amen. Now let me also say this and give you this disclaimer up front, that I'm not the know-all, end-all to teenagers and how they function. I do not have a master's degree in teen management, okay? So I don't know everything. I'm not even going to act like I know everything. I'm just as sin-filled and I mess up every single day like the next Person, But over the last 11 years, I've had the opportunity, the incredible opportunity to serve along some incredible leaders and serve with some incredible parents. And I've watched the way that they have functioned with their teens and they've done an incredible job, not a perfect job, but an incredible job at raising and leading their students, their middle schoolers, their high schoolers, even children younger and older than that. And so what I want to do is I just want to take some thoughts today and I want to see if we can learn something corporately. I want to see if we can take one of those thoughts. At least that's my goal that you would walk away today with one of those thoughts and apply it to a relationship in your life and hope that it improves because of Jesus and because of your effort and work. And so one of the things that I've learned from these parents and these leaders who were able to maintain a relationship, a strong relationship, even throughout the middle school and the high school years, this first one is nearly true for all of them, is that they made encouragement a habit. They made encouragement a habit. Now, I don't know if you know this about teenagers. They're a lot like us as an adult. They're just a little bit younger. They need reassurance. They need to know that they are loved. They need to know that they have a purpose. And listen, they are seeking independence in their life. They're trying to figure out this next step, but they need reassurance. They need to know they have value and purpose even when they make a big mistake. They need to be shown forgiveness. They need to be shown grace, just like you and I would like to receive every single day. And sometimes as parents and leaders, we get worked up and we forget to show that to them. But hope that we get it from God and our bosses and our spouses and our friends and family when we make a mistake. But most of the time, let's not say most of the time, a lot of the time. I don't know if that's different. But a lot of the time, if we're being honest, when we truly engage our teens, when we truly engage our students, our middle schooler, our high schooler, even our children younger than that, a lot of the times... We're only engaging them to fix an issue. We're only engaging them because they've broken one of our many, 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 many rules that we have for them to follow. And if they trip up, we're on top of them. We only engage them when they are not meeting the incredibly impossible expectations that we have set for them. And the fact about those sometimes, if I'm just being honest, a lot of times the expectations I set for my children, I actually am setting for myself and I'm just reflecting that on them because I didn't become what I wanted to become. So I'm making sure they don't do it. But I set these expectations they have no chance at reaching. And it begins conflict. There's conflict that happens in our life. The Bible actually says in Colossians chapter 3, verse 21, fathers do not aggravate. Another translation says, exasperate. Do not nag your children. Why? Because they'll become discouraged. They become discouraged. We ask them, why are you always walking around with that look on your face? Because I'm always in trouble with you. 
I can't, you always get on to me and there's no encouragement behind the correction. And the Bible is saying, hey, don't just nag at them and beat them down. But what it's saying is that correction needs to be followed by encouragement. Correction needs to be followed by encouragement. We have to correct our children. Now, here's the deal is I don't want you to walk out of here thinking that Tony is saying, hey, you shouldn't correct your children. They're perfect little angels because that's a lie. And that's actually against the Bible. That's not the gospel. It is our goals as leaders and parents. We should strive to create independent, functioning members of society who are disciples of Jesus. That is our goal, and we don't always get it right. In fact, you're going to get it wrong a lot more than you get it right, probably. But it is our goal to correct, but then follow that by encouragement. And I love seeing Jesus walk this out. During his ministry, there was a particular time in the book of Matthew between one of his disciples, he and Peter, that this correction was followed by encouragement. And I don't know if you know about Peter, but he was a little bit of a hothead. Also, he had the tendency to put his foot in his mouth. So that's just kind of, but he was an incredible leader. And so there was this moment where Jesus and his disciples are sitting around a table for the Last Supper. And he says to all his, his disciples, hey, listen, when the guards come to get me, when they imprison me, you are all going to scatter. You're going to desert me. Now, Peter raises his hand, foot, mouth. Here it comes. He says, uh-uh, if they do it, I'm not going to do it. I would never desert you, Jesus. And then Jesus says, not only are you going to desert me, but you're actually, you're going to deny me three times before the rooster crows. You're going to act like you didn't even know me. And Peter says, no, not me. I wouldn't. Do, I would rather die. Well, Jesus is in prison. And when that happens, what he said was going to happen, happens because he's Jesus. And his disciples scatter. And, and Peter is one of those people that scatter. And while he's out, people begin to recognize Peter three separate times. And what do you think happens? He goes, oh. Aren't you Peter? You're one of Jesus' disciples? And what does he do? No. I don't know him at all. I didn't walk with him. I didn't do ministry with him. I don't. You have me. You must be mistaken. I'm not Peter. And then the rooster crows on the third time. And Peter feels this weight of this mistake that he, I just denied that I even knew the Savior of the universe. Fast forward, Jesus dies on a cross for our sins, which is pretty incredible. We'll get to that later. He raises from the grave and then the Bible says later on he meets with the disciples and he's having breakfast with him. And this is where we pick up in the book of John chapter 21. This is what it says. This is after breakfast. Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? You know, the ones that you said, not me or not me. If even if they do, I'm not going to. Do you love me more than them? Because you did what they did, so do you love me more than them? Yes, Lord, Peter replied. You know I love you. Then feed my lambs, Jesus told him. Jesus repeated the question, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord. Peter said, you know I love you. Then take care of my sheep. Here's a third time. It's funny how he asked the third time and he was denied three times. It's funny how Jesus works. Real smart. A third time he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? 
here's this correction and here's this encouragement about to happen as he's letting Peter know that you denied me three times. And in this third one, the Greek actually says that Jesus is really asking Peter, are you even my friend? Do you even know me? And the Bible says that Peter was hurt that Jesus asked the question a third time. And he follows that up by saying, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you, that I've made a mistake, and you know my heart. And I, I ran, but I truly, truly love you. And you already know that. Jesus said, then feed my sheep. This was incredible. Jesus did not sit there and point out, hey, you messed up. You don't have value. You don't have purpose. You ran from me. I can't use you anymore. He didn't just nag and nag and nag and nag because of this trip up. He reminded him, he corrected them, and then he encouraged them. Then fine, you know me, you love me, you have purpose, you have value. Go and feed my sheep. Peter was one of the greatest leaders the world would ever know. He's like the father of the church. He, was, he died upside down on a cross. Do you know why he was crucified upside down on a cross? Because he didn't believe he was good enough to die like Jesus. This was Peter. And this happened because Jesus did the correcting that needed to be he corrected the things that needed to be corrected, but he followed it up by encouragement. Here's what Jesus understood that we need to know is that Jesus understood that understood that the encouragement is like oxygen for the soul. It takes very little effort to give it, but the return is huge. He understood that this was not just correction. This was an investment that I'm making in Peter and he needs to know that he messed up. But he needs to also know that he has incredible value. So parents, it's important that you and I, leaders, it's important that you and I make encouragement a habit. That we, info- we follow that correction with encouragement. Parents, hey mom, your words carry weight. Dad, your words carry weight. And I need you to understand, mom, that your words weigh like a thousand pounds and they impact when they come out of your mouth. They impact your children and the people around you. And dad, yours carry like 5,000 pounds. I don't know why. It's just how it is. And you make an impact when you speak, make encouragement a habit. The next thought was this is that we need to be a good role model and I feel kind of weird saying that I struggled with this thought because I'm very I feel like a motivational speaker right now Tony Robbins like super excited but this is the gospel that we need to be good role models for the teens and the students that live with us and that we lead we need to be a role model we need to be the example that we want them to live out we need to be the ones that set the example for them Do as I say, not as I do should never be a way that you lead your home because ultimately your child and your teen will do as you do. Because when you do it, they go, well, that's okay. He's doing it. Never say do as I do as I say, not as I do. That's not a great way to lead your home. I love what Paul says to Titus in the book of Titus chapter two. He's encouraging Titus, hey, rise up, be an example for those who are around you. Set the standard. Be the standard bearer. Here's what it says. And you yourself, Titus, must be an example to them. Who's them? Everyone. Everyone around you. Be an example to them by doing good works of every kind. And let everything you do reflect integrity and seriousness of your teaching. 
Let it reflect. What he's saying is he's saying your talk better match your walk. Your actions better match your preaching. He's urging Titus to set the example for people around him because he's being watched and they needed somebody to imitate. And they say, Titus, you be the one that they need to imitate. Set the example. But Titus also understood is that his walk would empower his words. He would have far greater impact. His words would have far greater impact if they matched his walk, if his actions matched his talk. Stephen Covey says it this way. What you do has far greater impact than what you say. How you treat your boss and how you speak about them at home has an impact. How you treat your spouse has an impact. How you treat your friends and family, it has an impact. How you react and how you scream and yell, guilty at the person. I don't know how they get in front of me. The slow driver, every single time I leave my house, they get in front of me and they're dry, and I just want to get there faster and I scream and I yell and we all do it. But it has an impact. Because your students, your children will do as you do. When you put very little value into the gospel, it has an impact. When you put very little gospel into praying and worshiping, it has an impact. When you put very little effort into church and to serving the community, it has an impact. When you choose to spend 48 Sundays out of the year at the lake, It has an impact. It's teaching your students, whether you want it to or not, it's teaching them something. When we don't sit and we don't pray with them and we don't show them that we're living that out, it has an impact. And the fact is, as we devalue the gospel by living a church life and a different home life. I remember at... um, when I was about 13 years old, my dad um, says, hey, we're going to go to this revival. And I don't know if you guys have been in church long enough. I'm sure there's some in here that can remember. You used to have church on Sunday nights for some reason. So you would have church on Sunday nights. It'd be different worship, different message. And that's what you did. But my dad said, hey, our family's going to go to this revival that's happening in Birmingham, Alabama. And so I'm like, I don't know. I didn't want to do that because I knew I had school the next day. So I'd rather stay home and play video games. But he's like, we're going to go, and you're going to go. And I'm like, I don't want to go. And so we drove to this area up in Birmingham, and this guy is preaching. And I mean, he's really going in because I was raised Pentecostal, so he's going in. You know what I'm saying? Like, he is going in. And so, and so I'm like, this is awesome. But I look over at the front row, and my mother and father in tears with hands stretched wide, worshiping the Creator. And I'm watching with every being in their body, I love you, Jesus. And they don't care who's watching them in that moment. My dad's being this example. My mom's being an example at church in front of people. Fast forward a few nights later, my dad was also a Sunday school teacher. And I have siblings. I have a younger sister and brother. And at this time, they're you know, seven or eight years old. And I come up from my bedroom in the basement and I come up to the living room. It's almost dinner time. My mom has the TV on blast. My brother and sister is losing their mind in the floor wrestling. And there is my father with the gospel opened across his, his lap. And he's studying and he's highlighting and he's taking notes, preparing for Sunday school. And my dad was determined to allow us to see 
that he had a relationship with Jesus and he was going to live that out and model it in front of us at home, but he was also going to do it out loud and in front of us in church. And he wanted to make sure that the gospel had value wherever we went with him. He wanted to do his best, not perfect, but his best at being a model for us. And here's the last thought that I've seen the parents and these leaders. Again, they didn't always get it right, but they did a great job at raising and leading their students. And here's the last thought is that they would pass on the relationship with God. They were very intentional at passing on their relationship that they had with the father. They were going to show how to live that out. They were going to teach their children. And here's the biblical fact is that each person has to come to God on their own. And what I mean by that is my salvation through Jesus does not belong to my wife. It does not belong to my children. They will not get to heaven through my relationship with God. But statistically speaking, it is a fact that if we do our best at leading and parenting our teens into a personal relationship with Jesus, there's a better chance that it would happen. If we do our job and lead them from birth as parents and leaders and, and model that and pass it on to them, it's a better chance that they're going to come into a personal relationship with Jesus. And if you are a Christ follower in the room, if you're watching online, we are mandated in Matthew chapter 28 by Jesus to go to all nations and make disciples. This is what it says in verse 19. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Mandate, command, go and make disciples is what Jesus is saying. And let's be honest, we'll get really excited when we see missionaries on the stage and they're preaching about what our giving has done in Nigeria and other uh, uh, foreign countries to us. We get excited because we understand that sharing the gospel is important, as we should get excited. We get excited when there's big events that happen at churches. We see people come to know Jesus because we know how important and how big of an impact sharing the gospel makes. We get really excited when we get to serve in different areas of the ministry and we see lives being changed because we know how important sharing the gospel is as a Christ follower. But truly and honestly, if we look in the mirror, there are moments throughout our life where we get really excited about going and sharing the gospel, but we forget to go down the hallway to the door to our son and daughter and share the gospel. It is our job. We are mandated to share the gospel to everyone including our students, including our children. That's where it starts. It starts with our family. It starts with us on our knees, praying for them and reaching out to them, even when they push back. And it is our job to lead them and our responsibility as parents. And they may not grasp it. They may not get it for 20 years. But it is our job to try and show them who Jesus is. And I need you to understand this, that your teens and students are hurting. I've been with them for 11 years, and I've been out of school for almost 20 now. And the high school that I grew up in, the same pain and problems and issue, they still exist. But the issue and the change about what's different about today is it follows them home. 
There was no internet when I graduated. We didn't have phones. We didn't have social media. So I could leave it there. But it is following your students home. The bullying and the need to fit in and the popularity and the pornography. It is there on their phones and they are hurting. And they are looking for leaders and moms and dads who will come in and show them compassion and love and correction with encouragement. And wrap their arms and say, I love you. And you have purpose and you have value and you're going to make a mistake over and over. But I am here for you and I love you and I believe in you. And I no doubt believe that you, just like me, have stood in a mirror time and time again and exclaimed, I don't know what I'm doing. I feel like I'm failing as a parent. I feel like they don't listen to anything I say. They keep getting in trouble. God, I need answers because I don't have any. But if you are a Christ follower, rest easy in the fact that you already have the answer because you know the answer, King Jesus. And it is not your job to always get it right, but it is your job to point to him. So give yourself a break, mom and dad. Give yourself a break, leader. And begin to put some principles and and things into play. And be determined That my baby is going to know about Jesus. And I know, I'm a parent too, I know. It's, they're nutty. And you're carrying this burden of what am I supposed to do? But Jesus also says in Matthew chapter 11, Come to me with that burden and I will give you rest and I will give you answers and I will give you direction. Do not fight this battle alone. It is not your victory to be won Jesus died on a cross for our sins and he died for theirs too. So he loves them more than you do. Believe it or not. I could not calculate that in my mind how I, I, my wife, love my daughters. We love our girls so much. We love this son that's on its way so much. But Jesus loves them more? How is that possible? But it's true. And so it is our job to point to him. Dad and mom, we don't have it right all the time. Leaders, we don't have it right, but he does. And he has changed my life. And let me show you why. By making encouragement a habit, being a good role model, and passing that on. And I want you to also know, if you're in this place, if you're watching, and you don't have a relationship with Jesus, I would challenge you to change that right now. Because you need answers. And he is the answer. And there's a lot of great books out there on parenting. But there is the gospel that's the number one seller of all time. And it has every answer that you would ever need. And I would challenge you to make that change today. With your head bowed and your eyes closed as our service is coming to a close. For the people in the room that say, hey, I I don't know Jesus. But you're telling me there's a man that loves me. Explicitly, He loves me so much that he would die on a cross for me. That he wants a personal relationship with me. That he has done the impossible for me. That he has died and saved me from myself. i got to have a relationship with him. If you're watching online, we can change that today. We can make that relationship happen. So if you're in the room, if you're watching online, you say, hey, I want to make that decision today. I want to help walk you through that. And we're going to help you with what happens next. But we have to start here. So if you're in this room and you say, hey, I need a relationship. I want to change. Show me how to do that. 
What I want you to do right now is I just want you to raise your hand with head bowed and eyes closed. Could you just raise your hand and you say, I want to make that change today. I want to have a relationship with Jesus. If you're online, you can type that into the chat right now. We'll communicate with you on what needs to happen. God, I'm grateful for the people in the room, the ones that say, hey, I am a Christ follower. So I know you, but I don't have kids and I don't work with teenagers, but this is the gospel. And you know what? I need to make encouragement a habit. I need to continue to be a good role model. And I need to make sure I'm passing on my relationship with those around me. And if you're in the room and you are a leader of students, and you are a parent of middle schooler and high schooler, I pray, I pray that you would not hold yourself to such a high standard. I pray that you would rest in God that He has the answers. I pray that you would search the gospel, that you would hit your knees and you would begin to put these principles into practice and watch God transform your life. We are so grateful, Father, for the ability to gather online and in person. We're so grateful that your son died for our sins and I pray that that fact would go home with people. That they would be willing to make changes in their home, that they would have courage to speak up. Again, I'm grateful for your son and his life for us. In your name we pray. Everyone said amen.